Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Danielle Belton, the Roots Editor-in-Chief, here with the managing editor of The Glow Up, Maisha Kai. Hello, everyone. Today, we're joined by two very talented guests, sisters and co-authors, Maika and Maritza Mulit. The Mulit's first book, Dear Haiti, Love Elaine, came out last year to tons of praise from outlets like the Kirkus Reviews, Booklist, NPR, Publishers Weekly, and even won a Parents' Choice Award. Now the Mulits are gearing up for the launch of their second book, one of the good ones, which is set to come out on January 5th. And I, you know, we have to mention that the Malites are practically family here at The Root because they also happen to be the sisters of one of The Root's own video producers, Jessica Malite. They are, which was so cool as someone who has nothing but sisters. It was so much fun <laughs> to get to talk to some members of The Root's wider family. I agree. I agree. You know, and what really impresses me about the Moonlights is that, first of all, they do have such a strong sense of family and both of their books really kind of like lean into that, like the, the unbreakable bonds, the uncomfortable moments, <laughs> the sometimes feelings that these people who are the closest to you in the world are also strangers and kind of learning new things about them, even though you've been on this life journey together. I know, you know, I am the eldest sister of three, well, technically four, excuse me. Um, and, uh, I have to say that like with my sister in particular, where I'm eight years older than her. And I think that like, I'm still finding new things out about her as she, you know, gets into motherhood and works in a totally different field. And it's, it's really fascinating to be on that journey with her. And I love that they get so much of that into their books. No, I, you know, what was most striking to me, just the sisterhood, you know, just the bond between sisters and how that bond can be used in a creative way, in a creative process to mm-hmm. create literature as good as what the movies are doing today, which is absolutely incredible. So with that, I think we should get to the interview. <laughs> I think we should. Let's do it. Hi, Maika and Maritza. Hi, Hi Danielle. Danielle. Hi, Mike. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome to It's Lit. Woo! Hey, we lit though. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> we are thrilled to have you with us today and to be kicking off the new year with you. We survived 2020. Yay! Oh, man. Barely. Thank goodness. Barely. Barely. <laughs> oh. You know, this is our first time meeting you in person. But you're essentially part of our extended family here at The Root. Yes. And writing clearly runs in your family, too. You've published two novels as a sister act. 
Yes, we have. I can't believe it. We It feels like we're scamming people. We're like, two bucks. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> now, Maisha and I are truly excited to speak with you about your process and your upcoming book, One of the Good Ones. But first, we have a ritual here at It's Lit. So this is a podcast about Black books and writers. Yeah. We'd like to begin by asking all our guests to name at least one book they've considered to be mind-blowing, life-changing, life-altering, life-affirming. You know, that book that just, like, sets your mind on fire with ideas and excitement. Yes. Maika, since you are the eldest, get us started. What <laughs> yes. book was that for you? Okay, so the book for me is The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. Mm. And the reason why is because when I was growing up, I was just like Xiomara, the main character, very angsty in my feelings, poetry book, religious household, like all of these things. That was me. I am her. It is great. (laughs) (laughs) So The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo totally resonated with me. I remember I was reading it for the first time when my family went to Haiti, when we were editing Dear Haiti, Love Elaine. And I was just like, you know, in a room of my family, all of this room full of Haitians crying because the book was so good. I'm like, this is so beautiful. (laughs) So yeah, Elizabeth Acevedo, Poet X. I say it every time, but I love that book. And Elizabeth Acevedo too. (laughs) Awesome. And Maritza? Okay. Uh, I knew you were going to say that, Maika. Okay. So (laughs) I would say... A book that has made me feel all the feels and just kind of like insane after was The Farming of the Bones by Edward Stanticat. And mm. that book is about the moment in history on Hispaniola where thousands of Haitian people were massacred during the, they called it the Parsley Massacre, where they killed lots of Haitian people on Dominican land because of all the history that is involved on the island. But Edwidge like spends time with a particular character. And I just was just, you know, chilling, minding my business, going along (laughs) reading. And then like by the end, I'm sobbing and crying like a baby, like in a way that like, I just didn't realize the book was going to make me like elicit such feelings from me. Like in a way I thought like I was, I was cool. I was calm. I was collected, but not really. (laughs) <laughs> um, and Edna Cat is such an inspiration for me just in general because she is like the Haitian go author person and yeah. um like, agreed, yeah. Yeah. So I, I really admire her work and just she inspires me to like know that you can really make people feel a lot of things. No, um, I that's those are excellent choices. Amazing books. I do like the fact that you shouted out um Edwidge because you know, you guys are both Haitian. You know, Jessica, who works for us, is Haitian. Uh, I've been mistaken for Haitian. P- Haitian people hey. tell me I look Haitian. We claim everyone. If you, <laughs> yes. if you, if you say rendezvous with a little accent, we're like, are you, you Haitian? <laughs> exactly. I went to a, ha- a Haitian benefit. Uh, like it was after an earthquake, and there was a benefit at a woman's house in Washington, D.C. that I went to it. It was all Haitian people, Haitian food, Haitian you culture, Haitian music. You got all the music. fancy things. It was super Haitian. <laughs> and literally everyone was like, your name is Danielle. Danielle's a French name. Are you Haitian? Are you Haitian? <laughs> yes. you, are you sure you're not Haitian? I was like, I'm pretty positive. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis is French. I'm like, oh. <laughs> See, that, that, see, San Louis, yes. We still like to claim Usher. And yeah. that's like... <laughs> nice. Yeah. That little French, he, he said it. I can't remember the music video right now, but yes, we claim Usher too. 
awesome. You know, I, I, you know, I am black American, and we love claiming more and more black people. If you're black, you're black, and we exactly. do. So I'm we there do. for the claiming. Amen. So back to your books. <laughs> In one of the good ones, which is your second novel, in less than two years, both of the books that you guys have written have been for the young adult market, and you two are our first fiction writing team that we've had here at It's Lit. That's right. And we've heard through the grapevine. <laughs> Meaning Jessica. <laughs> that, oh, Lord, this was a dream each of you have had since you were children. Yeah. Maritza, perhaps you can tell us what prompted you to attempt to do this together. Hmm. So, like you said, we have wanted to write books forever. And I mean, I would try a few times, like just the one, and then just immediately. <laughs> get bored and over it or just busy and forget about it. But what was it? It was a few years ago. We were like, what if we tried this together? And then we actually sat down and developed an idea. Like, um, Maika is a pantser. She writes by the seat of her pants and I'm with water, <laughs> which makes sense. <laughs> we like <laughs> outline everything. So I got Maika to join the plotting side of things. And we made this really extensive outline. And then we figured out what the story was going to be. And it was so crazy that Elaine just kind of like popped up as a character. Like just the way that she's so sassy and we think she's hilarious. And she's so she um, confident. <laughs> and and we, we, we decided to make a story around that type of character. And like the rest is history. But it, yeah. It, yeah, it started with the character. And the sister. Yeah. Yes. And Marissa <laughs> did it mention. So the reason we ended up writing together is because we we're like, oh, we want to try this. So we started the process. But then there was um, a social media contest. And Marissa was like, oh, we should enter it. Now, if you're entering any writing contest, your book should be done. Our book was not done. We had like 25% of it still needed to be written. And Marissa was like, oh, it's fine. Nobody's going to see it. It'll be fine. We got a lot of engagement from like agents and editors saying like, oh, send this. I want to see this. I want to see this. So then um, Mertz and I, it was during like Hurricane Matthew was supposed to be coming to South Florida. So we were just like, oh, my God, a hurricane might come. Then we'll lose power. We won't be able to finish the book and send it in time. So we scrambled and we sent it out. And that's actually how we got started writing together. And even though we didn't end up signing with anyone from the contest, we got such good feedback that we were able to make a whole bunch of revisions and then cast it again in a, a using, you know, with a wider net. And then that's eventually what led us to being uh, published with our, uh, our publisher now. That's an amazing story. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I love that story. And, and, you know, as fellow writers, I, I'm sure, I'm sure Danielle loves that story too. Both of us are like, hmm. Wow, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, that's an amazing I, I story. I also have sisters. <laughs> And I yes. wish I could write a book with my sister. That would help someone to do some of this heavy lifting. Yes. You know, <laughs> it's funny. Load, yeah. I'm going to yell at my sisters. They're not doing enough. <laughs> you know, I'm also, I'm an eldest sister like you, Maika. And uh, my sister and I talk about writing a book together. I wonder how that would go. She's like eight years younger than me. But we talk about writing books for my niece and nephew, who she has blessed us with. <laughs> so I'm really intrigued by how you guys got into this. And, you know, that first novel was, I mean, you know, for such a crazy beginning, it was extremely well-received. You won a Parents' Choice Award. Yeah. So what, Micah, tell me, 
you know, as the fellow eldest sister who, you know, has a name that rhymes with mine, which makes me feel like we're sisters. Uh, What (laughs) attracted you to writing for the young adult market? And were you prepared for this? Like, I mean, you talked a little bit about this reception, but were you prepared for this kind of response? Um, so, okay. What, what got us writing for young adults? So growing up, our parents were very strict immigrant Mm. Haitian parents. And they were like, (laughs) you're not watching TV during the weekdays. You're not going to sleepovers. None of that foolishness, right? So uh, <laughs> there's a saying in like, um, you know, Haitian culture that you had the three L's, l'école, l'église, lakai, which is l'école is school, l'église is church, lakai is home. And that was it. And <laughs> because we didn't have any entertainment during the weekdays, we would go to the library um, during the weekends. Our parents would take us and we each, the four of us would all get the max books. I think it was like 20 or 30 books, go back home and read it. And, you know, we were accelerated readers. So even when we were in elementary or middle school, we were reading books that we probably had no business reading, like (laughs) sexy romance novels and all types of great stuff. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is something I think we all can relate to. Yes, we can. Danielle and I are, we're also accelerated readers. We talk about this often, that we were, we were those kind of readers. But tell us more. Tell us more. I want to hear more about this. Yes. Yes. So we read all of these books and because we were mostly consuming young adult novels at the time, it just really stuck with us because that's really a critical time in a young person's life. Mm -hmm. You're trying to figure out who you are. You're probably starting to form your own opinions, maybe breaking away from your family a little bit, depending on what those opinions are. And it's just such a special time that Maritza and I felt that we wanted to write for this audience. And, you know, sometimes people will disparage folks who write for young adult. And I'm just like, were you never a young adult? Did you not want to read? I don't, I don't see what, anywho. But yeah, so that's really what got us started writing for young adult. Just that desire to add books about characters who are Black, you know, Haitian, whatever Uh the, the case may be, because it was just lacking when we were, when we were growing up. And then you asked the second part, but, um, I think I, Forgot well, it because I was rambling. You know, I was asked, I was actually asking about your, you know, this warm reception you got. I don't, I, I wonder sometimes, like, do you anticipate, you know, that that's going to happen? Uh, but I, I, you know, and I want you to answer that actually. But I, <laughs> yeah. I am, I am actually, as you talk about this, I want to little, know a little bit more about this process because having read both of your books, you know, these are, there are things that these books have in common. And then there's things that are like deeply divergently, you know, uh, just absolutely different. And I love that. I love that versatility. But one of the things they do have in common is that each of them shifts from, you know, perspectives from chapter to chapter, whether it's through letters or just actual, you know, first person perspective. And in one of the good ones in particular, you know, there's more than one protagonist, at least to my, my interpretation of it. Yeah. You know, Maritza, I'll, I'll lob this one at you. How do you two approach that process? I mean, I know you said that, I think you said Maika's more of a, a, just a go with it and you're more of like a strategic planner, but like, does each of you, I mean, it's so seamless when it comes together. Like, do each of you assume a specific character or, you know, like, how does this, how does this collaborative effort work for you? We're always so happy when people say that it seems like one voice. Um, yeah, it does. Yay, success. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's that household thing. I don't know. But <laughs> right. Yeah. No, we always like to say that we would be anyone, like all four of us, we would be anyone at like charades or taboo or any of those games. Because we just basically share one brain. 
But um, <laughs> that's funny because when I, I kind of did a little pre-interviewing with, with Jessica, just, you know, just get a lay of land. She said she was an expert on the two of you. So <laughs> yes, we are each other's biggest fans. Yes, <laughs> yes, that is true. Yes. And embassies. But yes. um, <laughs> Yeah, and so, that's consistent in this book too. The sister relationship there, I was like, this must be like what they're like. <laughs> um, yeah, so we sit down and we like come up with a really extensive like 15, 20, 30 page outline of what happens in the story so that anyone can jump in at any place to write anything. But we do leave enough space for the spirit to move you as you so desire. So like if Michael wants to write this chunk of the chapter or I want to write this part of the book, then like we just let the other person know and then you write it. And then the mm. other person will go back and read it and do any edits or like tweaking that they want to so that by the end of the story, it just ends up being kind of like one voice because everyone, everyone's hands are in every single part of the story. And it didn't even occur to us to write the book like, oh, you take Happy, I take Kezi or whatever, which is so, it's like, I don't even know why we didn't think Why didn't we that. didn't think, I know, it would yeah. probably made our lives easier. <laughs> so everyone's everyone. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed that. Like, and I think it's also because like, we just always have so many different things that we want to like tackle in one story. And sometimes it makes more sense to explore those different things from other perspectives from different characters. So we just end up having lots of characters and lots of backstory and, and it's mm-hmm. fun for us as writers. Yes. I was actually going to answer what you said, the question that you asked earlier about the reception of the mm-hmm. book. And if we anticipated that, I would say for. Dear Haiti Love Elaine, when we set out with this story, we knew that it was very specific to like Haitian American experience. And honestly, we thought this might not be well received. You know, we're a pretty small half of an island. Um, you know, it just might <laughs> not go where we want it to. And actually, when we were pitching and trying to get representation from agents, we had folks who might have read the story. They loved it, but they were like, oh, we want to remove the magical realism aspect of Dear Haiti, Love Elaine. And I, Maritza and I were just like, okay, uh, we know we can't. No. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, we can't work with this person because the mysticism of Dear Haiti, Love Elaine is parallel to the mysticism of Haitian culture. Like we are superstitious about everything. Like you can't just remove that. It's it's like you didn't actually understand the story. So there are definitely times as a writer where you write the story, you put it out there and you're just like, okay, whatever happens after this, it's out in the universe. And for one of the good ones, Maritz and I, when we sat and we were writing it, we felt very moved while we were going through this entire process for one of the good ones. But we also know that there is this thing within publishing and I would say even in young adult or specifically or children's publishing where books that center black folks focus on pain and yeah. We wanted to do our part at tackling this idea when we're talking about race and what that means. And, you know, that's kind of why we made the decisions that we made with one of the good ones, because we just wanted to kind of turn it on its head a little bit. But really, you you can't really guess how the book is going to perform. You're just like, well, we did our part. I hope that it does well. And then you throw it out in the universe and see what sticks. Hi, I'm Jane McManus. 
And I'm Julie DeCaro. And we're here to invite you to listen to our new Deadspin podcast, The Ladies Room. Yeah, we can't promise it'll be all bathroom humor, but we can promise some. Plus, we're going to have all things related to sports and women and lots of great guests to talk about this with. And we also promise that you'll laugh a lot. And maybe think a little too. Our first episode is dropping soon, so make sure to subscribe to The Ladies Room wherever you get your podcasts. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the, the pivot into some of the research that goes into these books which is something near and dear to my heart because I'm researching my own book, which also has a Haitian in it. Yay! <laughs> um, if you need a beta you know reader. You're, you know you're quietly Haitian then, y'all. I don't know why I you're know, I, She right, must right. be. I'm I feel like, in my spirit. By the you end of the podcast, doing. we're going to actually we're related to Danielle. She's <laughs> right. She, it's nepotism. It's nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> so, Maika, um, I'm wondering, um, is there one of you who typically takes the lead in the research? Do you both share the research? Like, how do you divvy up that particular subpart of the work? Yes. So when we set out for the outline, we or when we're setting up the outline, rather, we know that there are certain things that we're going to have to dig into more extensively. And I would say that we each kind of research the thing that comes across the part that we're working on. As we're writing it, we'll leave a gap. So one of the things that we'll do is like, she walked into the room, world build here, and then we continue writing (laughs) because we don't want to get bogged down by certain things. But then when we're going through the editing process, we'll also look at certain things to make sure if it makes sense or if it's factually accurate. So for instance, while we were writing one of the good ones, we had certain things that we had to look up, like when were seatbelts invented? Like we had some characters in the like 1920s to 1960s were like, did they put a seatbelt on? So we had to research that. Or I think Maritza had to search when did pools get chlorine in them? Like, is that something that you would be concerned about as a black woman who got your hair straightened and you went into the pool during the summer? So like, you, you know, we had concerned. to <laughs> Yes, because they did exist or it was in the pool then. So we, we just kind of do all of this research as we were going through the story. But also because we knew that we wanted to tackle racial injustice in America, there's no way for you to have that conversation, even if you're writing a contemporary novel without looking at the past, because it informs so much of what we're going through today. But yeah, and then we got to find out so many really cool things. Uh, but I'll let Maritza take the rest of it because <laughs> I've been rambling a little. <laughs> yeah, well, I would say that like, even before we 100% settled on what one of the good ones was going to be, we had to do some background research to have an understanding of what the Negro Voters Green Book was and why it was mm-hmm. so significant to Black history and why someone would care about it still today. So we were well, coming... it's proven very uh, timely, hasn't it, in the last yeah. few right. years? Right. Seriously. Right. Everybody's talking country. about the Green Book. Everybody's yeah. got a Green Book. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have three. I have three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I, I totally interrupted you there. But, you know, I think the Green Book conversation is really relevant, right? You know, Danielle and I were talking about the geographical <laughs> aspect of this. Danielle, you had a question about this, right? Uh, yes. Uh, specifically, um, you know, without spoiling too much of the book, a good part of the narrative of one of the good ones takes place on a road trip. Uh, the detail you include really makes the reader feel like they're there. And Maritza, did you and Malika actually take 
a road trip together. <laughs> Marissa, did we take a road trip? <laughs> no, but we really wanted to. Like, our plan <laughs> for the summer was to, like, this past summer when everyone was stuck in the house, was to go on a road trip and, like, use the green book and do the whole shebang. But while we were riding, we really depended on the New York Public Library Schomburg Center has this oh, yeah. really cool green book website where you could look at digitized versions of various editions of the green book, like from the 30s to the 60s, which is really amazing and fun to look at. And something that the website also has is that you can put in your address and your destination and it will give you different stops and suggestions for your trip. So um, being able to like visualize what we were doing and the type of journey that our characters would go on that way was helpful. But we ended up like making up a lot of the different stops that we were going on and made some of them inspired by actual parts of the green book. So like the rodeo that like we have in our story is made up, but there were like black cowboys and all of that historically too. Yeah. I mean, that was absolutely. so cool. Like when I was doing my research, like, you know, you, you end up learning so many interesting things. Like I studied the history of the toilet for my story because I didn't know <laughs> what the bathroom situation was like right. in the 1800s. You know, that's a, that is a crucial conversation. I find myself wondering that a lot in stories. <laughs> I know. <laughs> was there a particular tidbit that, you know, whether it was trying to recreate a road trip or you know, researching various aspects of history. Was there like a factoid that, you know, a deep dive that you guys went on that was like the most interesting to you? Oh, okay. So this one is sticking out to me immediately. So there is this woman named Stagecoach Mary. I think it was Stagecoach Mary. And basically, if I'm remembering this correctly, she was, I think, the first Black woman to become a part of what we consider now the United States Postal Service. And she actually got her start as a nun and she was kicked out of the convent because her and one of, I think, the groundskeepers got into an argument and it escalated and she pulled out a gun on him as a black woman. <laughs> And like as a black on the early 1900s, yes. I was like, wait, this is what is this? And so, like, I just kept digging into uh, the story about her, and I think she was um, like a queer woman, but of course, you know, she was in in a convent, so they didn't really discuss it. And she ended up getting kicked out. And as life progressed, she became this like horseback riding mail carrier woman in a time where there were not many women mail carriers, and especially not any black women mail carriers and i was just fascinated by her stagecoach mary <laughs> well, especially because now there's black women all up and through the postal you know what stagecoach mary definitely needs a stamp and i actually stamp. love this whole conversation about the black nuns you know i fun fact i went to catholic school as a child and it was full of black nuns i'd like all yes. the all the nuns in my school were black. Oh, but, nice. um, you know, uh, that was one of many aspects of this book I took personally. I'm just going to put this out here. Readers will get it when I say it. But my birthday is on April 16th. And so from now the I'm first page, uh, <laughs> well, you had me from the first page because a lot happens around April 16th. It is the day before. That's all I'm yes. going to yes. say yes. about yes. that. It's kind of a big deal. Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, speaking of time frames. You know, you are our first guest of 2021. Whoop, whoop. 
Yay. Uh, we love to ring it in with family. But there is no way we can discuss one of the good ones without doing so in the context of the events of 2020. In fact, fun fact, sometimes I'm the first point of contact for these books. And I first heard about your book in June of last year, early June. I went back and looked. It was June 2nd. And uh, so I know it was well on its way to being published when we had a new wave of racial protests and uprising in this country in response to yet another series of extrajudicial killings yeah. of Black people. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to direct this towards you, Maika, to start. I know that much of this narrative was actually inspired, I'm looking at your foreword, by the murder of Trayvon Martin. You know, you guys yes. are both, you know, you're from Florida. This was a, a narrative that was very, not a narrative, this was an event, excuse me, that was uh, really personal to you, as it was to a lot of us. So how do you feel about this novel now, kind of coinciding with this moment in history? Yeah. Yes. Ugh. So when we sat down to write one of the good ones, now it's probably been almost two years, if not more, mm. since we started this story. Wow. And the fact that this just continues to happen is not surprising because of the nature of this country and our history here. Right. But also it's gut wrenching. Like when we were going through this process for one of the good ones, we had to consider how so many more people were being brutalized and victimized by, you know, whether it's the police or someone being a vigilante and taking things into their own hands. And we specifically set out to write one of the good ones because we had our um, great aunt who passed away. And when we were at the uh, cemetery, we were looking at the mausoleum and the different names of people who had passed before, you know, and we came across Trayvon Martin's name. And it just really stuck with us. And I think part of that is like his Miami was our Miami. The school that he went to was this home school for our youngest sister at one point in time. Like it just truly, he looks like people we have grown up around, you know? And if you at that point in time might have been able to avert your eyes to the racial inequality and inequity that is existing in this country, I think what happened to Trayvon Martin really opened your eyes. And that stuck with us. And for one of the good ones, we knew that we wanted to tackle this, but looking at it through the lens of sisterhood and Black women, because so often when we have conversations around Black Lives Matter, it feels like it's only certain Black lives that matter. And we wanted to dig into that and really unpack that. And it isn't to be you know, uh, to pit people one against one another or to have an oppression Olympics because we are all struggling out here. But really it's to raise awareness and bring attention to women who also are victimized by this system and who so often don't get the same level of attention. But it's just, it's terrible. And then when we were going through the editing process, we're like writing our author note at the end and having to go back every few weeks to add another name of somebody who was killed, that is surreal. It is, it feels like you were writing something on a page, make believe, and then it happens in real life. Yeah. And it's just truly something that it, it, there, there are no words for it. Like I just, I can't explain what that does to you as a writer. Like Maritza and I were sitting here writing and we're just like, this feels strange. It feels uncanny. It feels wrong. And, you know, now we're having these opportunities where we're able to talk about the book, but we wanted to make sure that we are doing it in a way that gives us full 
agency and to look at all of the different intersectionalities that we have, right? It's like you're a Black woman, so your life is not only pain, you have joy. And we tried to make sure that we incorporated that so that one of the good ones, although there are moments of extreme grief, there's also moments of joy and all of the things in between because we should not be limited to only talking about our pain and tying up our existence in this, you know? You know, I love that you said that, actually, because, you know, one of the things we've seen uh, over and over again, but particularly this year, and I was glad it became a discussion this year, was what happens when we're crusading for some of these victims, right? You know, uh, even in that the casting them, of them as victims, which they are, but they are obviously people, like vibrant human people, <laughs> you know, yeah, just like we are. And where, you know, there's this sort of quote unquote flattening, right? And memeing that takes place. Mm. And we particularly saw this with Brianna Taylor, right? Yes. yes. So this is something that you also presciently <laughs> kind of addressed in this book. Why was like, Maritza, why was that a, like an important conversation for you to have? So something that we also wanted to do with one of the good ones is talk about all of the people who are left behind after someone is killed in such a way. Because, like, after the conversations move on and the cameras go away, like, there's still countless family members and loved ones and friends and lovers and everyone in between who are still grieving, who still have to process everything that has happened and the fact that they are missing someone in their life now. So this book was... Also talking about Kezi's sisters and her friends and her girlfriend and all those people who knew different aspects of her. And these were the people who knew her the closest, you know? And it's so crazy because, like, these past few months or last year, like, we were able to vote for Sabrina Fulton because she was running for public office in a local election in Miami. And it's like, Life goes on and terrible, tragic things happen. And then the people who are left behind are trying to make life better and more just for the other people who are like them, you know? And it's just such a crazy thing. Like we, we talked and we were saying how like when we sold the book, Brianna Taylor was alive. We did not know her name. She was just yeah. out there, you know, like just living her life, just living her life. And now like, it's just difficult. Like, I feel like sometimes you're trying to raise awareness, but then it comes off insensitively because it's like in a weird meme or something that is not the best way to do that and, and stuff. It, it's just so hard to have these conversations. But I do know that it's definitely, I mean, it's been time to have these conversations in, and talk through these moments. That's it's so powerful, such powerful stuff. There. I agree. Um, so, guys, with one successful novel already published and another that we predict will be even bigger, what is next for you two as a team? Is there another joint narrative already in the works? Or do you see you guys in, you know, pursuing individual projects? Yes. So we do have more coming down the, the pipeline or pike or whatever the saying is, but we got more stuff coming. <laughs> so um, we are working on our third book right now. We can't talk about it yet because it's very hush hush, but it is coming. Maritz and I are very excited about this. There, another author that we admire, her name is Evie Zaboy. And Evie talks about inhale books and exhale books and how you might have an, uh, an 
exhale book, which is like, oh, you're releasing a breath. This was great. You know, like this was a fun writing process. And then you have inhale books, which you bring in everything and you're carrying that with you as you go through the writing process. So one of the good ones definitely was an inhale book where we were carrying all of this with us. And so for our next book, we wanted to write something that allows us to kind of have a a bit of release. So we're very much looking forward to the third book. And we have other things coming too. So stay tuned. Sookie, (laughs) sookie. We're going to hear all the things. (laughs) All right. I'm excited about We do have an inside track. We do. We have an inside track. And talk to us about all the things. Yay! (laughs) I always want to be on a podcast and they say, oh, you've got to come back when you've done that. So this is great. (laughs) This is amazing. Like I said, as someone who loves to write and read and has sisters and is like an honorary Haitian now. Yes. Um, I t- yeah, you guys should totally come back. Yeah, I'm yeah. just gonna, I'm just gonna insert myself in there. I'm like, I want to be an yes. honorary Haitian. Maisha, done. This was this now the Haitians are lit podcast. And thank you. <laughs> I don't know if you're our first Haitian Americans on the podcast, but you were the first ones to center Haiti on the podcast. Yes. I'm here yes. for it. I'm here yes. for it. <laughs> All right, it was so great having you guys with some Maika. Thank you so much for joining. Me and Maisha Thank you today. For Happy Thank New you. Year! Happy, Happy New Year! year. 2021, be nice. Listen. <laughs> <laughs>The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. If you like the show and you want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Spread the word. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Black Snob or on Instagram at Belton Danielle. And you can find me at Maisha on Twitter. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go... We always like to talk a bit about what we're currently reading. Maisha, what books are you getting into these days? You know, I am leaning into that young adult market (laughs) a little bit. We got some amazing books from a familiar name, Karen Parsons. Those who are not familiar obviously did not watch The Fresh Prince when they were growing up, as we did. And, you know, Hilary Banks has grown into a tremendous, full-rounded creative. You know, she's still acting. But she's also written some young adult books for both the little kids and also this book called How High the Moon that's acclaimed. So I'm in the middle of that. And just like the Moolites, you know, she's kind of done a period piece here. So it's very much looking at like a Jim Crow era story, which I think as we get further and further away from that era, it is more crucial to have ways to share that with with young readers that they can get a context for what that was about. So I am excited to be moving through this and I believe we're going to actually be talking to Karen soon. So I'm, I'm excited about that too. What are you reading, Danielle? Oh, you know, I, I guess I'm on an actual book break. I didn't mean oh. for this to happen. I have not read anything other than The Root. And oddly <laughs> enough, I've been really into Vanity Fair's political coverage lately. Like they have the snarkiest political coverage that's not on The Root. You know, I'm like going to say, I think, I think we have the, the snarkiest, poli- yes, we have the snarkiest yeah, political coverage. Yes, we have the snarkiest non-root coverage. And frankly, 
as the editor-in-chief of The Root, I don't think anybody would fault you if that's all you read this week. I mean, you know, you kind of have yeah. to read The Root. <laughs> I get away with only reading portions of The Root. I think you kind of have to read the whole thing. So we're going to give you a pass. <laughs> but it's a new year now. So, you know, we're going to get into lots of books. You have lots of stuff that's coming so your way. Books. I promise you. So many books. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And I'm looking forward to reading it all. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. In the meantime, as always, keep it lit. <laughs>